You are listening to Talking Home Renovations with a House Maven. Is it time to renovate your house, but you're worried that you don't really know what you're doing? This is an educational and entertaining podcast that will ease your fears. Or maybe you just love hearing about home renovations like I do. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I practice in Eastern Massachusetts. On the show, I interview other architects, vendors, contractors, and homeowners to gather tips and stories about home renovations. You can learn about materials, systems, sustainable practices, what to expect, what to avoid, and how to make the most of the money that you'll spend on your renovation. My guest this week was Tom Hazard. As a top influence strategist for speakers, authors, and experts, Tom Hazard helps major publications sports stars, and entrepreneurial influencers brandcast their original messages via podcasting and videocasting. Tom's a real inventor and successful product designer with over 40 U.S. patents issued and pending. He's been rethinking brand innovation for 30 years. His latest innovation, Poditize, is how I met Tom last fall at a podcasting conference. In this episode, we talk about his renovation story around a 1905 home in upstate New York on Chautauqua Lake. We touched upon working with an architect, finding a contractor, designing improvements to an old house, and building his own cabinetry. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Tom. Welcome to the show. Are you, uh, I'm really excited to hear your story, your renovation story. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be here, and, and uh, I've been looking, actually looking forward to having this conversation for quite some time. You and I planned it a number of months ago, and we're just weren't able to get the schedules right until now. So I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. Well, it's great. So I don't know one thing about the, your project. So <laughs> so tell me about it. Sure. Well, um, so this is about 20 years ago, actually, a little, maybe slightly under, uh, in upstate New York, where I lived at the time in, in Lake Effect Snow Country and mm. Chautauqua County, New York. Um, my wife and I bought a home that is, you know, had quite a history. It was built in 1905 and was sort of the really big house on the hill up from Chautauqua Lake um, and really um, moved there for business reasons at the time and intended to stay there for quite a long time, at least 10 years. That sort of didn't end up happening. But we, you know, had this wonderful home. We liked homes that were built with quality materials had some real history to them and this place was beautiful rather huge house and and had a really good history had it was sort of in a style that was somewhere between the craftsman style and a little bit of arts and crafts not i mean it was sort of had one foot in each camp uh, and you know quality of materials was excellent and this home had really not been very well taken care of for a number of years. And we decided, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to buy this home, which was to buy the home itself, which had like five acres of land with it, was pretty inexpensive. Even at the time, it was, I think we bought it for $220,000. But it really needed some TLC. I mean, it was very, very well built, but it, the main home needed in some ways renovation and, and, you know, like had this beautiful front porch with columns holding up the, the roof over the front porch, but then had these stone bases to the, Mm -hmm. to support the columns. And, um, the front 
porch itself, which was made of mahogany, you know, had been just sold and rotted in many places. I mean, that's just one example of a part of the home that needed significant yeah. renovation. That's my dream home, by the way. Oh. Like a beautiful old house that needs needs to be given some love. That is the absolute favorite. And we loved the idea of a project, too. So my, you have to understand, my wife and I both went to art school. We went to Rhode Island School of Design. So we're, we're both oh. creative types, and we appreciate well-designed and crafted homes and the integrity of the original intent of the architect and everything we did for the, we really wanted to maintain, especially from the outside appearance of the home, that level of integrity uh, and quality. Um, so as we decided to buy the house, we weren't sure exactly, well, we, we knew from a renovation perspective, things with the main house that we wanted to do. At the same time, we wanted to add on to the house hmm. in a couple different ways because in Chautauqua County, New York, lake effect snows are pretty much a daily occurrence, especially this time. Well, as we're recording this this time of year uh, in the winter. Um, and there was no garage. And so we are having a heck of a time, you know, uh, as we moved into this part of the country, dealing with cleaning our cars off every day in order to drive to work and or go anywhere and do anything. It's like, well, we need a real garage, but how are we going to add a garage onto this house and have it look like it belonged with the house, even though the house is about a hundred years old at the time. Hmm. Uh, and we know we needed some help with that. I mean, yeah, we have a sensitivity to design and architecture, but we're not architects. So we needed to find an architect and we did hire an architect to help us with this. Uh, the other thing we ended up deciding to do to add on to the home, uh, on the back side of the home, we, we decided we were going to, if we're going to live here year round, because you got to understand Chautauqua Lake is one of the most beautiful places in the country about two months out of the year <laughs> in the summer. Yeah. Other than that, it's, you know, living there is not ideal from a weather perspective, especially when you could get 12 to 18 inches of lake effect snow on a given day. Yeah, that does seem a little bit much. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, so we decided, all right, we're going to live here. This is going to be our oasis in the winter. We decided we wanted to build an addition on the back of the house that had an indoor pool and spa. Wow, that's very fancy. That, well, and on the back side of the house, you remember, you know, I mean, not that it wasn't designed to be as much in harmony with the architecture as it could be, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's fancy. I mean, we wanted to be able to swim and, and exercise with swimming is one of our things. So to have sort of one of those jets that you can swim against the current, but you're not actually moving anywhere was part mm. of it. Um, and then, but in the summer, having these very large sliding doors that could all open up with screens and have as much of the outside coming in as we could. So a lot of glass and, and then what was obviously a lot of screens. So those those are like the two big additions was a garage addition and then this pool on the on the back. Um, that, that sounds great. It was a wonderful project. Really enjoyed it. Took a ton of photos and videos documenting it over the time. And but there there are some interesting things that happened. Um, and I want to return to that front porch for a minute because it's a really good example of things that you're faced with when you have an old home. 
and how do you solve some of these problems? And I, even though we got an architect involved that detailed the additions, we also hired a builder who was knowledgeable in these older homes. And, and we, there were things that you couldn't really plan for and you had to come up with solutions for as the work is being done. And that front porch is a really good example uh, because what we learned is, well, there are certain realities of the home and its location and the kind of weather that happens and things you might do to as you're renovating the home that would look the same and maintain the integrity, but maybe use different materials that would be able to survive the elements better. One of those is using kind of a cement board clabbered replacement instead of wood mm-hmm. uh, on on that front of the house and especially where that uh, front porch roof meets the house. That joint was another big issue. Um, but we faced a situation where over the years, those, remember I was talking about those stone bases for the columns? Yeah. They had moved and like settled down into the earth. And what do you do? Do you completely remove them and lift them up and get them all to be at the same level? Or do you do something else? And there was concern about how fragile they were and and if we move them too much are they going to fall apart and you know we're not going to be able to maintain them and and the builder came up with a really clever idea um which was you know to grow the columns if you will um and you know all the we replaced Mm -hmm. some of the columns that existed that were wood and were rotting with sort of a identical I would think of sort of a fiberglass type replacement, but looks identical. So that would survive the elements. But what do you do to, uh, well, we had some of them that were fine, but they needed to be grown in height. <laughs> right. um, so how do you do that? And he came up with a very clever idea to, you know, have a local wood shop turn some essentially discs that were maybe two inches to three inches thick that were adding on to the column. And from Mm. a distance, you can't even tell that some are taller than the other, but the, the roof of the porch is now level Mm. as it's pushed back up. Right. Um, So some clever things like that, that were little tricks to, that's a great idea. Yeah. I used to work in the furniture industry a lot. And one of the jokes when you had a new person working on the factory floor, I was a designer designing the furniture. They would, you know, send a new guy to take a piece of wood that was cut too short and say, okay, go into the basement and find the board stretcher was the joke. And first of all, there was no basement in the plant. And of course there's no such thing as board stretcher. But to me, I remembered that as like, Hey, we're actually stretching these columns. Um, So that was fun. Yeah. Um, how did that, did that, the stone bases, did they continue to sink? I mean, I guess you didn't live there long. Well, I, I ne- didn't end up living there as long as I wanted to. My career brought me to California at one point. Uh, unfortunately, when we moved there for our career in the upstate New York, we expected it to be a long-term situation. Unfortunately, the company that I worked for, I didn't even know before I even worked for the company, was really on a path to major change and bankruptcy despite 
many yeah. things out of my control and there really wasn't a whole lot of business in that area. So I didn't end up staying there, uh, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, so I don't know if they ended up sinking more, but I mean, to my mind, it was a hundred years of sinking. They hadn't been touched. And so they probably haven't moved a whole heck of a lot, um, since then. And okay. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, um, but the, so the, the garage addition was, was another thing. And we really tried to find a way and we, we ended up sort of the architect did a great job proposing columns and stone bases in the front of, uh, of that garage that sort of were in alignment with what was happening in the front of the house with the porch. And then, um, the garage ended up being very, very large in height so there was sort of a living quarters built above it, and it was literally attached into the home, and and was end up done in such a way that we could actually um, there was an opening that was a window that then became a doorway opening between the main house to the top of that that living hmm. quarters in the over the garage, and then um, the the property didn't even have a paved driveway; it was a dirt driveway. But we ended up finding an old carriage path that sort of went out the side from the side of the house and meandered around and, and actually was a natural, very good path to have a driveway different from what it was. The people who had owned the house before us just literally took the linear path straight up the <laughs> steepest part. And it was like, you know, really hard to get up there sometimes, hard to plow. There's no, no, real road surface beneath it and when we found this meandering path we're like wow that's a lot safer to drive up it's not as steep a grade it gets up there more easily and mm. the garage doors went into this if you're looking at the front of the house we're coming in from the side so you're not trying to put a garage where none existed a garage door and make it somehow look like it belonged um ended up Anyway, it was the architect did a beautiful job, I think. Um, and actually, this was one of my lessons in hiring an architect. Okay. That I think was very helpful because I had some cousins that were also trying to do a reservation project on their house in Virginia or something around the same time. And they kept running into architects that were, um, that were, um, architects that wanted to be paid based on a percentage of the total project cost mm -hmm. rather than just being paid hourly. Right. And I didn't even have any idea what my total project cost was going to be. So, I mean, I hired an architect who seemed very happy and willing for me to just pay them hourly for the work that we're doing. And that's what we did. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't tied to the project cost. Um, and, and so that worked very well, but I sort of learned how much my cousins were struggling trying to even get a design worked out where they could figure out what the cost might be. And, and anyway, that, they were struggling to do that on their project. So I, I felt like we definitely made the right choice. I don't know how common that is in the architectural field these days, but made the right choice to hire someone by the hour. Um, and we had several revisions along the way, so we had to keep going back to him and he got, I think a really good amount of work from us. Yeah. I mean, there are different ways that architects charge, but, and there's a lot of debate right now on not charging hourly and just charging a fixed fee 
that might be based on the percentage of construction costs. But I, I'm comfortable with hourly because then I feel like if I have to redesign it or they change their minds and we spend seven months in design, then that's what we do. And I get paid for it and, and they know they're paying for it. So it's all fine. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I, you know, it made sense to me that yeah. I'm not as, not going back to someone asking them to make changes on some fixed price that didn't anticipate further changes. And, uh, you yeah. know, but at the same time, it didn't feel like we were being gouged having it be a percentage of what was a very large, expensive construction project either, you know. Yeah, I think that's the most fair. So that's what I feel comfortable with. But I'm glad it worked out for you. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. So let's see. I mean, there was so many, this was a, it took a long time, this project. I mean, this occurred over the course of more than a year. Um, tried to time it properly to start as soon as like spring happened in, I think, 2003. And then go through that whole warm season and try to get most of it done before most of the stuff that would be impacted by winter to be done before winter set in. Mm the following year and then continuing to do things that were on the interior as needed after the house was able to be, you know, the additions were able to be winterized and that, that pretty much worked out uh, okay. luckily timing wise. But then I decided because I was a designer and I'm, I was in, you know, a furniture designer at the, at the time, I don't really do that anymore, but um, I decided I want to do the kitchen cabinets myself you mean like build them yourself or just design them? Build, I built them from scratch Whoa. myself. That's great. Um, even the drawers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I obviously bought, you know, bloom slides and stuff for the drawers and all that. But, um, yeah, built them myself and even uh, the frame and panel. I know you don't have to. There are companies that make these things, but they even make the drawers on the inside. But, I mean, I had oh, yeah. some of my own equipment, and I enjoyed doing that stuff, and I wanted it done the way I wanted. So, I mean, I, I literally built the cabinets and built the center island the way I wanted that mm. had two levels to it and electricity coming out where you'd want it vertically, you know, on a vertical surface and um, making it sort of some barstools on one side and then some things on the other. And my wife wanted two ovens and um, we got these interesting ovens that instead of having the door open down, swung open mm. from the sides. I like that. Um, one on each side of sort of the kitchen sink area. And I don't know, there was a lot of thought that went into it, but for nine months of this project, we had no usable kitchen. Oh, <laughs> so you had we're living in the house. I mean, we, we did certain things before we moved into the house. Like for, oh, this is, you'll, you'll like this. This is important. The one modern thing that we did, because the house at some point had had, I don't even know the era, but it wasn't original to the house. But this baseboard, hot water, mm. you know, radiator heating, which didn't look good. Yeah, and one like of the that. first things we did before we moved in the house was to strip all that out and we decided to have one um, forced air furnace unit in the basement and another in the attic and each one going up one coming down to you know heat and cool each floor of the house without you know having to rip a whole lot up in between the floors you just obviously have floor registers coming up to the first level and ceiling registers coming down to the top level. And so all that baseboard heat was ripped out. Beautiful oak floors that just had to have little plugs put in where those sort of, I guess, inch and a quarter pipes came through. 
the floor and then all the floors were sanded and refinished and and all we had a lot of plaster work done that you know there were some areas that there was lath and plaster obviously being a 1905 home that mm-hmm. had to be cleaned up and so all that was done and, and the interior painted before we ever moved in and this is before the sort of major renovation but that's so we could live in it while other parts of the construction are being done so we were living in it and so for this nine months when i was doing the kitchen our refrigerator refrigerator was in the dining room and microwave and we did a lot of takeout mm. for those nine months it gets really old that, doesn't it it thinks i i, uh, I used to think it'd be fun to have takeout every night but it's not fun well it's not when you live in that area because you pretty much had to drive 15 to 20 minutes to get to the closest restaurants mm. and so it ended up being it, it, it did get old uh, i probably would not recommend that and wouldn't do that again mm. in terms of living in a home without a real functional kitchen that was that was tough um but i did enjoy building the cabinets and making it the way i wanted and you know the countertop surface what i wanted and what was the, actually, what was some, it the countertop and the well cabinets. at the time the countertop surface ended up getting a, a dupont corian material which at the time was sort of the thing the material mm-hmm. to use um but i also got a good lesson in specifications with the company because i had to build all the cabinets get them all done and then they came in and measured them and put in the countertops and to my specifications and i thought i had been very clear what i wanted in terms of a edge treatment Mm. on that material and i wanted it all pretty squared off just with a slight radius corner like a quarter inch radius on all edges and after they got done and i come in and check it out i'm like where'd this come from i put they put some from from the top view some really huge like two inch radius corners mm. on the countertops that i absolutely did not want and i looked back at my drawings and got back with the company and it's like how did you get that that's what i wanted from the drawings i supplied you because that that to me i mean and keep in mind i'm a furniture designer and i i right. would do designs and drawings of furniture all the time so i thought i was pretty clear in it somehow they got the wrong message but fortunately this material unlike if it was like a stone countertop mm-hmm. um where you'd be probably stuck or have to replace the whole thing with this dupont corian which was a white off-white material it wasn't even one of these patterned ones um they could actually cut off a 45 degree chamfer cutting that radius off of it glue onto it more material and then cut it and by the time they were done fixing it i I couldn't even tell so i was pretty pleased that that material was very forgiving Mm -hmm. in terms of piecing it together and sort of reconstructing something so they didn't have to throw out a lot of material. Yeah. I don't know why, but the Corian seems to be finished in, you know, things like that, like a two inch radius or, or like a little, uh, fluted edge or something, you know, they get a little fancy with those because they can, I guess, cause they can easily carve it. Maybe that's why it, it is very carvable or, you know, with a router, you know, you can put up pretty much whatever shaped edge you want as long as you've gotten enough thickness of material there. Mm. What about the cabinets? What were they like? They were in keeping with sort of the craftsman style, a, a typical 
you know, I guess frame and panel. Um, and it was more about the, the quality of the wood and the finish of the material than it was like the shape or design. I really wanted that sort of classic look. Some of them I had, you know, for upper cabinets, I had uh, this really nice antique glass that I put mm. inside the frame so you could see like some of your stemware and stuff that might be in there. And then it was really all about the handles. I, I really researched and, and um, found this very nice quality, you know, um, antique uh, oiled bronze finish sort of um, brass handles that didn't, it was more copper than brass. I mean, copper is a, brass is a copper alloy, but I mean, it's, it, it was more, I guess, aged and orange than it was sort of yellowy brass, which was nice. And the shape, I mean, it was just in keeping with the age of the house. Mm. Um, that's what I was trying to do, even though they were new cabinets in a modern kitchen, I, I wanted it to be in, you know, it looked like it fit if the house were built in a modern time mm -hmm. with modern conveniences and materials, but looked like it still belonged. Sounds um, beautiful. Can you send some photos of that? I can. Yes. I, like. I've realized I have, I, and actually it's interesting. I know I also have um, some aerial photos. There was a helicopter that happened to fly over the area and took mm. some photos that they gave me some so I can That's actually lucky. have an aerial photo too. But yeah, it was very lucky. And then the others are digital that I have archived, but I, I can find some. Yeah. Well, I just uh, like to see it. I'm just interested to see it because they sound great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was, it was, I was a labor of love. I mean, it was, and uh, you know, I've often wondered would I do it again. I don't know at my age now, if I would do it again, 20 years later mm -hmm. to do such a rehab and renovation and addition sort of project. Cause it was, it was an effort. Yeah. Um, but I really, I love doing it. I'm glad I did it. The people that are living there now, I'm sure love it. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Um, yeah. You know, another thing that I, I think is worth noting is the railings going up the staircase. Now, the, this home is kind of a classic old home where the very the, the front door of the house in the center from that porch goes into the big living room with, as you walk in to the right, is sort of a den slash office that's enclosed with some pocket doors. And to the right is the dining room that you can also close off with some pocket doors. But this is a main living room with a fireplace in the, in the, um, to one side in the, in the center of it. Um, but there's this sort of grand staircase going up to the second floor, but the railing, uh, and the spindles for that were very basic. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot that were sort of in disrepair and needed help. Um, and they were just square. I mean, I say spindles, I don't know what else you call them, but you know, what's holding up the railing, yeah. they were just square. They were basic, nothing fancy. And my wife and I are like, well, here's an opportunity because the, the, the house had some leaded glass windows on either side of the main front door. And, and mm -hmm. the, so we decided, Hmm, we, we had heard about a artist sort of in Buffalo area, which was about an hour and a quarter, hour and a half away that, was kind of a wrought iron sculptor and he had done a lot of installation projects for different things. And we decided, all right, well, we can still have a wooden railing, but what is between the stairs and the railing, maybe we could do something 
there was truly a newer design, but in those older materials and in the a style that would still be in harmony with the age of the house. And so we did that and the, the, we had the guy come check it out and sketch out some designs of what he had in mind to do. And we settled on one we liked. And then one, I don't even remember how many days it took, but you know, for a couple of days he was at our place and with welding equipment and assembling these things and putting it all together up and down the staircase. I think part of it too was the sort of this, the, the distance between the spindles, because the house was so old, mm. was nowhere in the neighborhood of of safe or to code or anything. And this new version not only did the functional thing we needed it to do of holding up the railing and being strong, but also ended up being a lot safer Yeah. Uh, by the time we were done. So that was one sort of hallmark piece of this grand, nice living room and going up the stairs that really made it... Um, I mean, the staircase was really nice. Halfway up on the landing was actually a window seat hmm. sort of thing by some more windows, which is kind of nice. So that's another thing that I thought was um, a really nice piece that I remember that I, I miss. And, you know, sort of trying to not just restore a home, but if we're going to repair things to, you know, do it in a way that would add to the house. Right. You never know. Maybe that was one of the things they ended up, uh, the people who originally built it, cut out of their budget, right? They decided that they weren't going to go with the fancy balusters. They were going to just go square. So there's yeah. no reason to replace them exactly the way they were if it enhances the house, like you say. That was what we hoped and we were yeah. trying to do. Yeah. yeah. So do you have any tips for other people, things you learned along the way? Yes. Um, well, not only, which I, I do think I did a good job of picking, vetting contractors and picking one that really was going to build to the quality that we really wanted to, to maintain the integrity of the home, even though in some places, as we're adding on, we're putting in new windows mm -hmm. But one of those windows to really look like they belonged and were good quality windows, you know, you wouldn't use vinyl windows on a house of this yeah. age, right? But you would use modern windows that, I mean, still made of wood and modern double pane glass and things like that, but had the same style and obviously can be pushed out for fire code and stuff like that. But as close as we could to quality of the original, of course, all these windows had the old, you know, ropes and the the heavy weights inside the sides and all that to for for the um, balance for lifting up the windows and things so choosing a contractor is really critical but the biggest lesson i learned that was problematic was make sure you are very clear on your contract with your contractor and your terms and all that because what we ended up doing was um we, we needed, remember I said we needed to start the project uh, to take advantage of the season mm -hmm. and get to a certain point before winter set in. And we were working with a bank to get a loan to build this, can, you know, uh, to do this project that was going to consider the future value of the home, not just the value of it today, which is tricky this. when you're doing these projects. Um, but we needed to get started before that process could be done. And we were getting a fixed-priced 
contract for the construction on this. That was the whole plan and the bank required it. But to get the project started, we agreed to get started on a time and material basis just because we, we had to get moving on some things. And we could afford to do it to a point ourselves without the construction loan. This ended up being a fatal flaw long term because the contractor didn't do a very good job quoting the fixed price contract, even though they agreed to it. And they tried to say, oh, but you agreed to a time and material contract, even though the next contract was superseding that mm. one. Uh, it ended up being a complex thing. And we ended up in a dispute with the contractor long term where um, they didn't want to agree to, the to, to up, I guess, honor the fixed price contract. And we ended up in arbitration, which is unfortunate. We ended up winning that arbitration, coming back to what we really, the fixed price contract and, and what we, you know, really believed uh, they were owed on the project. But it, that's the unfortunate part of this story. So if there's any lesson learned, it's just being really clear on your terms. And I probably would not recommend doing what I did, which was starting on one kind of contract and moving to another because that was sort of where there was some legal wiggle mm -hmm. room for their attorneys to try to latch on to. And I'm getting into a legal dispute with anybody. I, I would never recommend for anything. And there's no fun for anybody. No. Um, so that that's the sad part of the story. But we it, you know, eventually did work it out. Um we was we were forced to <laughs> work it out through some arbitration. Mm. Um and that process was sort of fascinating in and of itself. I know isn't really a story for probably mm -hmm. this podcast. But um but so that that's what I would not recommend. But I mean, in terms of the project and what we did, yeah, I mean, I I loved it, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, we had the original, actually, I, we had the original blueprints for the home from 1905 wow. too. That's great. That were, were found within the sort of on either side of the fireplace where these built-in sort of seats where the seat lifted up and some storage under it. And we found the original... Mm blueprints um which we were able to provide to the architect and did you frame them in the end they, did you end up doing anything like uh, that with them? i don't think i did but i did they were saved and preserved and and stayed with the house which is what i think was the right thing to do with them yeah um um so no i don't think we framed them but um I love the blue. Were they blue? I love it. The the dark. They blue were ones. blue, yeah. white white lines on blue, like the real old mm -hmm. blueprints. Yeah, they're so yes. pretty. Um, they are pretty. Interestingly, my I uh, I have uh, another house that I had experience with, which was my great grandmother's house in New Jersey, built in 1934, and I did frame one of her original blueprints, mm. which were not blue. They were on white background so i guess more blue line mm. on white background framed them and learned the hard way um you really have to use the right kind of glass that uv oh, blocks those things faded. because after a year of being framed they completely oh, faded due to uv right. and there that one that i framed is it's um, useless now i mean it's it's pretty much all gone mm. i mean maybe there's a way to try to restore it but um so the blue though 
those were pretty permanent. I don't think they were impacted by UV the mm. same way. Well, I don't know. I've never actually framed one and put it up to see if it would fade, but I just love the, the color. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I romanticize them as an architect or something. I, I think those old blueprints are really beautiful and, and I think make a wonderful piece hanging on a wall mm. I, I agree with you i think that that's a nice idea the the interestingly this house because actually my wife and i have a lot of I art bet. being art students we have a lot of original art not only from people we went to college with but my wife's mother is an artist and we have a lot mm -hmm. of art and what we learned in this house is how few large spans of wall space that there existed mm. to be able to hang a lot of art from for a number of different reasons, just the architecture didn't, for whatever reason, you know, have a lot of large wall space. Part of it probably is due to construction issues or design issues at the time. I mean, some of the largest spans of wall space were probably the sides of walls going up the staircase, mm. which isn't really an ideal place to hang a lot mm. of art because you can't stand back from it very right. far to observe right. it. Yeah. We have a giant eight by five painting. And so one of the, when we were looking for our, our last house, this house, we had to have, that was one of the things we had to have was a wall big enough for the painting. It's hard to find. I think more modern homes tend to have larger spans than. There's also the problem with them. So <laughs> it's true. There was a lot more. It was kind of more the wall itself was a com composition back in the old, older houses, I feel like. You know, between the trim that they would have, maybe a chair rail and windows. And yeah, so it's harder to get your big pieces. Ah, chair rail. Yes, chair rail. This was the type of house that had chair rails and, and had some um, like wood material up into that chair mm -hmm. rail. Um, yeah. Rather than the plaster, which plaster would start at the chair rail yeah, going I up. Yeah, I love that. Well, thanks for sharing your story. I can't, I can't wait to see what this looks like. Although in my mind, I already have a picture, so it probably doesn't, mm. doesn't fit what it really looks like. You own Potatize. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, now, you know, so I was an art student and a furniture designer for many years, but uh, for the last seven years, um, my wife and I founded a uh, Potatize, which is a uh, actually the largest podcast post-production company in existence and also a podcast hosting platform. So yeah, we certainly would create a, your show notes blog post, but it's sort of on steroids mm -hmm. and, you know, has a lot of caption graphics. And, and in this case, yeah, we, we can provide some actual photographs that um, will actually make a great resource for anybody listening who wants to see some of these details. I'll, uh, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll be there in the blog post on your Perfect. website. Good. Well, I can't wait. Thanks so much for coming on, Tom. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope you subscribe to this podcast. If you don't, please head over to wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. And if you have time to write a review, that would be so helpful. Please contact me for any reason at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. I love to hear from people. You can also join my Facebook group, which is Talking Home Renovations Together. And I'm on there with a bunch of people who have also been on the show, have been guests on the show, and other architects and homeowners and contractors. And so we can just talk about whatever issues people might have right there in the Facebook group. If you're on Clubhouse, come join me 10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday mornings. There is so much information on my website, which is TalkingHomeRenovations.com. 
head over there for transcripts, episode enhancements, other information. You want to be a guest, that's where you'll find that information in the application. This podcast is a member of Gable Media, which is the largest AEC network on the planet. Check out the other content on the network at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. This podcast is a production of my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. Until next time, take care.